It's so good to see all of you out there. Uh, those of you that are, yes. yes. And those of you who are outside, those in the traditional worship service, and those that are worshiping from home, we're just so glad to be together to worship our Father. So this morning, we're going to start or continue with the uh, sermon series that we've been going through the last two weeks, and we've got a few more weeks of this. Um, so just as a way of a quick recap, um, two weeks ago, we, uh, we talked about what God was doing in other parts of the world. We talked about how there are about 1,500 different areas where there are um, what are called movements of God or disciple-making movements where the gospel is spreading in just amazing ways where we're seeing Holy Spirit choose to heal, do miracles, uh, and all those types of things. And um, so we, heard, we invited one of, our, um, one of our mission boards to, um, to join us and tell us a few stories about that and some of the common threads and all that. One thing that, uh, that comes out of, of all that is that many times we in the Western church, certainly in the United States, certainly in Silicon Valley, we, we end up getting fed two lies by the enemy. The, you know, the enemy is called the, uh, the father of lies, and he, that's what he does best. And uh, the first of those lies is God is not active in our world today. And the second lie is neither Satan. It's just, it's just us humans, broken humans, trying to get along and try and do better. And we have very low expectations of what God can do. Um, but this is a lie of the enemy. And uh, increasingly it seems like, you know, uh, I'm Dan Yoder, I'm one of the elders, and uh, as you heard two weeks ago, uh, I've had the opportunity to visit the Middle East a number of times and see what God is doing in some of these hotspots. And uh, I find myself being more and more of like a cheerleader, if you will, of uh, what God is doing in other areas and what God can do here in Silicon Valley. So, um, <laughs> Amen. That's right. You know, last week uh, Becky and I were uh, sharing at a missions conference in uh, in Carson City, Nevada, and uh, to tell some of those stories and to explain those two lies that I just told you about, and and them realizing, wow, God really is still active. He wants, he wants to invade our world with his love, his peace. And that's not something from just the book of Acts, that's something that's now. Uh, so that's a little bit of my story. I jumped over then last week, you know, Rob introduced it very well, you know, that moving from what God is doing out there to the challenge of that we learned from Jonah of the oikos, that uh, we need to be identifying what that is uh, for, for each of us. So um, what I'd like to do now is first introduce uh, my friend, Promote Hawk. Promote is one of our board members. He's also one of the two leaders of the um, pastoral search committee. So Promote, why don't you say a little bit about your background in Silicon Valley? 
All right. Thank you, Dan. <coughs> um, I uh, have been in Silicon Valley for a fair amount of time, I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, I'm a venture capitalist. Uh, that's my profession. And uh, um, manage a very large firm here in Silicon Valley, one of the top 10 firms. We manage about uh, 10 billion in assets. Uh, Norwest Venture Partners. Uh, my wife and I uh, moved to Silicon Valley in 1995, and we've been here since 1995. Um, just a little bit more background. I am a I'm an immigrant. I came to the U.S. in 1972. Uh, did my master's and my Ph.D. at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. Ph.D. in electrical engineering. And uh, later on, I also did my MBA at Northwestern University. But when I graduated with my uh, PhD, I uh, looked at different jobs and went to work for a company that was actually a British company uh, that had invented the CT scanner. And they had started a group in Northbrook, Illinois. This is northwest of Chicago. And we were building the first whole body scanner. And so I was uh, one of five different teams we had a team, each of us, and we built uh, the first body scanner, whole body scanner. And I started to come to Silicon Valley at that time because I was looking for silicon <laughs> for photo detectors. And so in 1977, started to come to Silicon Valley, would travel back and forth. Um, and uh, it was a diverse culture even at that time, uh, but not as diverse as it is today. And, uh, uh, we got married in 1978, my wife and I, Dorcas, and uh, we moved to Southern California um, uh, for a startup. I was the CEO of the startup, building a low-cost scanner, and then sold the company, and then got recruited to go to Minneapolis uh, to be CEO of a three-dimensional imaging uh, company. Did that for a few years, and uh, it's amazing how God works, and God works in our lives. Uh, I uh, began to talk about, uh, while I was CEO of this company, traveling and taking care of uh, you know, the business, uh, um, began to think about what's my next step in life. And I began to think about church planting. Uh, and I shared that with a group of friends at church, and they laughed and said, what are you talking about? You have no, you have no theological background, you're an engineer. Uh, and I said, well, uh, that's true. And so I enrolled on a part-time evening program at Bethel Seminary. And I was at that for three years on, in the MDiv program. And almost two-thirds done, about 60, about 70% done. Took a course, and uh, it was an amazing course. It helps you think through your gifts. And then they do a test, a Myers-Briggs test. I did that with my professor, and he sat me down and uh, said, uh, after we had done the test, uh, what was the test like? And I said, it was a tough one. And he says, who are you? What do you do? I told him what I did. I was CEO of a company. And he said, I think you're in the wrong place. <laughs> this seminary, you should go back into the business world. And that was God's direction to me saying, no, uh, you're not going to be a church planter. I'm going to save my people from you. <laughs> so I got back into uh, the business world began to do some consulting and joined this venture capital firm in 1990. And so I've been with them now for 31 years. We funded, we moved in 95 because this is the epicenter of the tech world. And so I've been here 
uh, and it's 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 a, it's a very interesting uh, background, you know, and very interesting lessons I've learned over the years. Uh, you know, we live in Silicon Valley. It's uh, very very diverse. Uh, Dan will share some slides later on. There are people from 144 different countries in this in Silicon Valley. Um, the, it's multi-ethnic, uh, multi-religious, uh, and it's a post-truth culture. Uh, well, what do I mean by post-truth culture? Um, well, as you know, Western civilization was created and prospered because of the basic values, uh, the Judeo-Christian values that were there. And, uh, and then uh, the world began to drift. And as you know, a lot of that started in San Francisco, which is a part of the extended Silicon Valley. You know, the hippie movement, and then came the drug movement, and a whole bunch of other movements since then. And now there is no such truth that people believe in. There's no absolute truth that people believe in. Truth is something that uh, I will think about it, and this is truth for me. No, this is truth for me. Oh, it's gonna change. Tomorrow my truth is gonna be different. And so we live in a post-truth culture and uh, it just creates a real challenge. So Rob, you've had a different path to Silicon Valley. I was kind of raised up in this, and so this all snuck up on me. Pramod got a chance to see it, I think, with fresher eyes than I did. But you're really fresh. Yeah, yeah. I just got here. Um, okay, so a bit of, I'm, a, I'm kind of a culturally confused Christian, and let me explain that. So follow the bouncing ball here. So I was born in New York, Where's, where's the Yankees? None? Okay. So, <laughs> born in New York, up in Buffalo, and so raised a little bit there. Then we moved to Chicago. I uh, was there for five years. Then I was in, also in Minnesota for five years. Then back to Chicago for five years. Then Indiana for five years at Purdue, where I met my beautiful wife. So, where's my Boilermakers? There's one. Okay, there's a couple. There we go. Um, and then I went to Louisville, Kentucky for five years, and then Houston for 25 years. And so, raised in the Midwest, which was mostly uh, Methodist background, Lutheran, Catholic heavy there. And then once you hit the South, it's, it's strong Baptist, and, it's, and it's, it's that kind of a culture. But in the late 80s, my dad had a three-year job out in the Bay Area, and that is where I fell in love with the Bay. And I felt the call on my heart since then. It took me 33 years to get here. That's how long it took me to get here. But just blessed to be here. So what happened is when Sarah and I got married, we began to uh, do marriage counseling. And I shared this in a sermon a while ago, but... Her pastor challenged me, said, you were, uh, have you been baptized? I was sprinkled in the Methodist church, but I wasn't immersed. And so he opened the Bible and he showed me some things and I had never dug into this book like that before. And I thought, well, what else is in here? So I dove into this and I began to seek and I began to learn, joined a church, Southeast Christian in Louisville, got involved in ministry and small groups. And then in Texas, we did the same thing. And it was 1995 and we joined a very small church, Fellowship of the Woodlands, 300 people, Pastor Kerry Shook. I served in that church. We grew in our relationship with, with Jesus in that church. We took it from religion, which is how I grew, to relationship with Jesus there. And it was a 20-year run where Pastor Kerry hired me, and it was a 20-year run to build a megachurch. When I retired, it was 20,000. And so the perspective that I bring to Silicon Valley is this, I've been a part of a church of every size, whether it was 300 or 5,000 or 10,000 or 20,000. And in my longing to finally get here to be with you guys, it's been such a cultural shift for me. And it's been so much fun to go from where I was raised, to go from what I learned into this culture that Dan and Pramod are talking about. And I'm just honored and blessed to be here with you guys. Well, it may have taken 33 years for God to get you here, but we're so glad that he yeah. did. <laughs> Thank you. 
So what we'd like to do now, you'll hear a lot more from uh, Rob and Promote in a minute, but we want to go through some of the demographics um, that is Silicon Valley, because that helps ground a lot of our conversation over the next few weeks. So um, you should see on the screen behind me then a, um, you know, a, a couple of points. There's about four million people in Silicon Valley. Four million, and that's a, you know, that's an area that probably, if you're driving, takes four or five hours to drive across. But um, so, <clears throat> big, vast area. Um, there are people from 144 different countries here, which is incredible. And uh, the, the world has come to Silicon Valley. I mean, that's one of the things I think we all love about Silicon Valley is that you can, you can do, you can accomplish whatever you can accomplish here, you know, and you have that opportunity in, in ways that is impossible um, to do anyplace else. But that's one of the things that attracts so many people to Silicon Valley. But there's dramatic wealth to poverty range. We have some of the most um, um, wealthy people in the world here, and we also have some people that are struggling struggling mightily you know we see that in the tents and homeless you know around scattered around various places in the in silicon valley um, we have a just a range of political and societal values you know that come and you'll hear more from promote on on some of that in a in a minute um, and shockingly less than three percent of silicon valley attends church regularly, any kind of church. Mm -hmm. And that was pre-COVID. We remains to be seen what that looks like coming out of COVID. But that's, that's shocking, you know, and you'll hear later on, you know, that the ground is kind of like cement um, when it comes to the gospel. But I would also say that there's something in the atmosphere that just really is very oppressive. Even to us Christians, these lies that I talked about at the beginning are... Um, very oppressive here compared to other parts of, of the United States. So, um, so how big is that challenge? Uh, and we kind of highlight that on the next, the next slide is if you have, uh, if you like data, if you're a recovering engineer like me, you might like data like this that talks about um, the, the different age ranges at the top there. You know, so about 28% of our and this is in 2017, that trend has probably continued, is, is under the age of 18. Um, you see in the next area, there's a mix of, of different races. You know, there's no majority here, right? We have uh, whites at 40%, it's probably less than that now. We have Asians, and then we have Hispanics and Latinos. Uh, so we have, and then we have 3% black, and, and then there's other, you know, like Islanders and, and things like that in the, in the demographics. But uh, we have three major categories of, of people here um, that have different cultures and, uh, and things like that. Then we get down to some of, to me, some of the more shocking things, which uh, I can't see there. Um, Foreign-born people. So close to 40% of the people in Silicon Valley were born someplace else. And so they bring their culture, their religion with them 
And, um, and then a little less than 60% of households speak some language other than English at home, which is shocking. And um, that's, a, that's a big challenge when we look at it as a, in, as a solo church here in, in the South Bay. And then finally, about a little under 10% uh, are in poverty. And I think since COVID, that number is probably well above 10%. So that's a little bit of what, uh, what we're faced with here. Um, so on the next slide, though there is some good news. It says in our vision says in our generation. So that doesn't mean we have to in the next four or five years make this happen. This is, let's say, 25 or 30 years. So we have to, in some ways that's encouraging. It's not like this has to happen instantaneously, but it's, it does mean that we need to think the longer game. We, have to, we need to really see Silicon Valley like Jesus looks at it. And um, we need to put the right things in place that he leads us to that allow over a generation us to introduce Silicon Valley. Um, the, you know, we, the next thing is that um, uh, we're all missionaries, right? Uh, we've heard that in some of the things that uh, Chip Ingram shared with us a few months ago, and you'll hear it again in, one of the, in the video that we're going to show you in a few minutes. And our, but our job is also not to convert people to Christianity, our job is to introduce them to Jesus. And that's an important thing, right? Is that that, that conversion process, that is a spiritual transaction. You know, so that's above our pay grade, right? That's something the Holy Spirit has to work in somebody's heart. So we have to remember that. That's not our job, that's not our pressure. We need to pray over it, we need to do our part, but it's about introducing. And, um, but the conclusion of all that is the body of Christ really has to come together in order to accomplish this. This is not about Calvary solo trying to figure out how to go after a population of four million people across so many miles, uh, right? So that, that as we prayed and worked through some of these things is what clearly came across as um, as we prayed individually and came back and compared notes on what we were hearing, what God was teaching us as we, we studied his word. But that's, you know, I think, I don't think it would be of me or Rob or Promote to have the audacity to propose such a audacious thing. I used audacious <coughs> audacity back and forth, but that's the point of, this is a God-sized dream. Um, and without God at the center of this, and without God being who this church is all about, it, it cannot happen. So with that, um, I think we can conclude that the churches, the Western churches' um, current plan for going after big cities like Silicon Valley doesn't work. And um, we've, we've demonstrated that over the last three decades. It does not work. And we need to look at it through Jesus' eyes and apply some, some fresh 
in some ways fresh, but in other ways we're going to find this goes back to how Jesus taught his disciples to go after the largest cities in the world at that time. And we'll talk a little bit about that. All right, with that, um, then Rob, you come from a megachurch background. <clears throat> what is your thoughts in terms of, are the things from the megachurch background that you think would apply to Silicon Valley? And what doesn't apply? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. So in the South, when, you, when people move into a community, you greet them and it's, hey, what church do you go to? And when I came out here, the cultural difference is, you know, you greet somebody out in the community and it's, it's you know, I'll, I'll say, hey, what church do you go to? And they'll just kind of look at me with a weird look on my face and say, church, what do you mean by church? What do you, you know? It's, it's, such a, it's such a different melting pot here, a, a cultural's a world, different views, all those kinds of things. And what's so unique in the South, when we built the, the mega church, it was all roads led to Sunday. Everything we did Monday through Saturday would lead to Sunday, and that's, that's how we did it. And we do some of those things around here too, but the bulk of what I see here is the equipping that needs to go on with all of us, you and me, uh, to be equipped here, equip the saints, and then when we all go out into the community, into our jobs, into our neighborhoods, at the gym, uh, with our friends, that's where the, uh, the evangelism takes place. That's the biggest contrast that I see there. You know, I, we could bring in Randy Travis or uh, Steph Curry, and we would add services and days and we'd shut down highways in the south. And out here, we could bring in someone like that and we might get 10 more people on a weekend. It's just, <laughs> it's so different here. Uh, California is like an outdoor playland. You guys have so many distractions with the ocean and the mountains and the skiing and your, none of your critters really bite and your insects are friendly and all that kind of stuff. And so <laughs> you just want to get outside and have a great time, you know? But uh, it's, it's difficult to draw people in these four walls. So I, so I just see the church changing coming out of the pandemic as one of the biz, biggest examples. But um, I was sharing with Dan and Promote. Let me give you a really fun example of how to understand this. My oldest daughter went to the University of Texas. Hook them horns, okay, there, there she is. And in University of Texas, when they have parent day, they have it on a huge game weekend. It's a football game, it's barbecue, everybody's hanging out, there's 120,000 people in the stadium, and everything revolves around that, and it's a blast. My second daughter gets into Cal, goes to Cal Berkeley. We go out for parent weekend, there's a couple hundred people in the stands, Nobody's really into the football game. It's just different. And I said, Cassie, what, what's the thing? What, what is the thing that we do out here in Cal? I got to understand. I have to learn the culture and the environment. She goes, oh, dad, it's hackathon. Well, I go, well, what's hackathon? And she said, well, everybody, they, they rent out the biggest building on campus. It's like a multi-story building. And one night at like 7 p.m., everybody shows up with their high-powered computers. They plug in. They're on every level of this building. And somebody gives them a problem and an algorithm and something they have to figure out. And they hack through this program all night long. She goes, that's pretty much the biggest thing that we do here. So for me, it was understanding the head knowledge, the pedigree, the, 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 the educational level, and the focus on that here in Silicon Valley. It helped really open my eyes to the difference of the culture and the environment versus what I was used to in the South. And that was kind of a revelation for me, Dan. Yeah, that's amazing contrast. So Pramod, what are, you know, you've been involved in a lot of different ministries and you're on the board of a number of kingdom building organizations. What are some of the things that you've experienced or seen that you think uh, would help us in Silicon Valley? Right. So, um, you know, let me just talk a little bit about Silicon Valley itself and then, you know, uh, so, you know, Dan talked about 144 different countries and people say, you know, well, is that right? 
And how come? <clears throat> and the answer is that you know when you look at the large companies, the Netflix, the Google, the Facebooks, the <clears throat> Twitters, the uh, uh, Salesforce, they they sell globally all over the world, and they have subsidiaries in all these countries. And what they do then is bring people from those countries uh, to be here. And um, and then as you know, there's a lot of outsourcing that happens. And, um, and so that is why you have so many people from so many different countries here. Um, and what you find is it's a very diverse culture. Um, you have Muslims, you have Hindus, you have Buddhists, um, and uh, very different mindsets, uh, very different perspectives on truth. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, there's, a lot of these religions have this perspective that, uh, well, you know, truth is sort of uh, uh, not really absolute. Uh, you know, what's right for me is uh, maybe wrong for you, but we don't care. At the end of the day, uh, what really will happen is uh, if I do more good than bad, uh, then everything will be okay for me. I can keep doing some bad things, so on and so forth. And so as long as I do more good things, and uh, it's like a scale. And, uh, you know, it doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, I use a very simple example um, yeah, that, you know, let's say, um, you know, I come to church and I give some money away and then I'm driving home and I'm in a 30-mile zone and I'm going 50 miles an hour uh, and uh, uh, a cop pulls me over um, and says, hey, uh, you broke the law. And I said, well, I was at church and I was doing so much good, I gave so much money away. This is a fictitious example. This is he a didn't fictitious, really yeah, this is This is a fictitious <laughs> example. And uh, and I look at him and say, oh, you know, he gives me a, he gives me a, uh, you know, I got a sort of a uh, written notice. I tear it away. He looks at me and surprised. Uh, I don't pay the fine. I get a letter in the mail. I tear that away. I get another letter in the mail a few, you know, months later. Uh, uh, hey, there's a penalty now. You haven't paid your fine. I tear that away too. And then finally get another letter, uh, and it says you have to appear in court because you violated so many rules. And so uh, uh, I tear that away too. Uh, and, uh, and then I get another letter saying, uh, you have a, <coughs> with the district court, you have an appointment. If you don't show up, you will be arrested. So this time around, I show up. And when I show up there, uh, what happens is, uh, the judge says you broke the law, uh, and uh, you have broken several laws since then regarding your traffic ticket. And I look at him and say, sir, do you know how much good I've done? I do this and I do that and I do this and I do that and I give so much money away. And he looks at me and he says, that is great. Keep doing that. But you have to be punished for the fact that you broke this law. The law being you are going 50 miles in the 30 mile zone and you've totally ignored all the petitions that came or all the, all the, all the tickets that came after that. And then he says, and I, there's a fine now you have to pay it by tomorrow, $10,000. Uh, and if you don't pay it by tomorrow, you'll be arrested and put in jail. Do you understand that? And I look at him and say, oh my goodness, where am I gonna come up with $10,000? Uh, now this is all fictitious. And so what am I gonna do? Uh, I gotta do it by tomorrow. I can't pay this, I'm in trouble. And then a friend of mine who showed up there, hearing the whole thing, looks at me, walks over and says, I'll pay that for you. And he goes to the judge and says, is it okay if I pay that fine for him? 
And the judge looks at him and says, yes, that's okay if the two of you are friends. You can pay the $10,000, fine, and I'm scot-free. And that's what a gospel message is. Well, I tell people that come from different religions, Hindus and Muslims, it's not just an issue of measuring how much good you've done versus how much bad you've done, but God looks at every act that you have done, and there's a penalty for that if you're wrong, and that is spiritual death. But, just like the example I used, if someone stands up and says, I'll pay that penalty, he doesn't have to, can I do that? And the judge says, yes. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen. That's what Jesus did for us. And so somehow, those are the truths that you have to explain to your Muslim friends, your Hindu friends, your Buddhist friends, and even agnostics. Even a lot of people, you know, even, even people that are not Hindus or Muslims and Buddhists believe that, oh yeah, I'll do more good than bad and everything will be fine. If there's a God, then he'll take care of it because I did more good than bad. But that's not the way the absolute truth works. That's not the way God told us it works. So. So, so then to answer your other question about involvement with multiple ministries and so on, I think what we have to do, just to illustrate the point that I just talked about, we need to figure out how to collaborate with different churches and also with different ministries, different parachurch organizations. Uh, how do we attract some of these non-believers from different religions to come to the Church of God and to be uh, enabled then to hear the gospel message. What do you do? Uh, well, a church is doing that a little bit. Uh, one of our church members, John Christian, he has an organization called Contagious, and one of our church members, Kathy, she holds events at her home where John will bring students from different countries at San Jose University and Santa Clara University, and these are people that have never heard the gospel before, but they have an opportunity now to hear the gospel message. And that's exciting. And then, you know, I know our church is partnering, our student ministry is partnering with National School Project, where National School Project will come and will, they'll train students in churches, and then we'll ask those students to go into the local schools and start a Bible club, because students are allowed to do that. The state cannot prohibit them and they can start a Bible club, and other students can join, and they can invite National School Project to come in and share the gospel message. And so there's multiple organizations and examples of how we can't be a solo organization. We have to partner and reach the enormous multitude of diversity that we have in Silicon Valley. Amen, <clears throat> amen, yeah, for sure. Thank you, Pramod. So I want to just for a second, we're going to come back to Robert and Pramod in a second, but um, on the screen you should see a passage that'll help us to understand how, um, how Jesus saw his church. And, and uh, in two weeks we'll talk a lot more about how the disciples used what Jesus taught them, 
and how and the strategy they employed to go after the largest cities of the time, which were like Antioch and Ephesus and Rome. Um, and it was remarkable how it's a very consistent strategy. And when we look at Silicon Valley, what you're going to see is that you know it's remarkably similar. So let me just read this this passage in, from. Uh, uh, Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. It will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth which what is hidden, forbidden in heaven, and to release on earth what is released in heaven. This could be a whole sermon series, but we're not going to go in there. The key is um, that the word that Jesus t used to describe his church, ecclesia, is a Greek government word. Not, you know, you would expect he would say, well, we're going to create Christian versions of a synagogue and it'll be like that. But why, why did he choose to use a word like that? We're going to explore what, the reasons why that is. But just to give you a clue, some of it comes right out of the comments of, of Rob and Promote here, is that it, the church is not a gathering. It's not just a collection of churches. The church, the body of Christ, includes parachurch organizations. It includes uh, you and I when we're in our oikos. That's what... And that, so you'll hear us use the word ecclesia to mean that broader view, which is, we believe, Jesus' view being that's what he said, um, of what's going on in Silicon Valley. So that's all we need to really say on, on that point right now. Um, so let me... Um, so Rob, why should we have hope that ecclesia can work in Silicon Valley now? Yeah, amen. Um, so... You know, the church is the hope of the world and there's no plan B. You know, that's, that's it. That's, that's how you look at this and that's how you go forward. But um, what I've seen is, promote, promote said a little bit about it, you know, in, in the Midwest and the South, it was more of a competitive kind of a thing. But out here, I'm overwhelmed at the collaboration that goes on with the parachurch organizations. And it's kind of like the, the Silicon Valley with 3% three three of the people going to church, it's kind of like everyone that believes Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's band together and let's do this together. Let's do ministry as a team. Let's lock arms and let's win this place you know, for the kingdom. And it's been fascinating to watch. And, and a big cultural thing for me in understanding was, you know, the Midwest was primarily manufacturing, the South, oil and gas. Out here, it's all this tech stuff. And it's, I'm learning, I'm meeting all you tech leaders and people that have had all their careers out here. And what happens here changes the world. And that's what's been such a shock for me. It's been such a cultural shift, you know, in other areas, you know, the price of oil may go up or down and it's effective, but it's not changing the world like Silicon Valley. And so what keeps me up late at night is understanding that the decisions that are made on a daily basis here not only change the world, but the kids of all these people that work at Oracle and Google and Facebook and Tesla and all these things, these kids are growing up. And as the, as the schools continue to remove God, they're learning their ethics and morals and value systems from TV, movies, Netflix, video games, and music. That should scare you. It scares me. Keeps me up at night. So I want to make sure that the teens and the kids of this community learn ethics and morals and values from this. Because as they grow up, the decisions that they're going to make in Silicon Valley are programming the cars 
and the, the artificial intelligence, because they're going to think faster than us. And when cars come into an intersection, they're going to wreck, the cars are going to pick who lives and dies. And these kids are going to program that. And I want them to know this so that they can get it right. Amen. 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 So each week we wanted to bring in a voice from outside of Calvary. And uh, this week we, we asked our friend Nancy Ortberg to um, uh, help us to understand more about what the post-truth culture really looks like. And so a couple weeks ago, Danny was able to interview her. So we've got a video now that, um, uh, that we'd like you to watch. My name is Danny. I'm here with Nancy Orberg, who is the CEO of Transforming the Bay for Christ. And we're just, we just want to share a little bit with you. But Nancy has been in ministry for a long time. You've been with Transforming the Bay for several years now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just hoping, would you share a little bit about TBC and then also just what you're seeing with kind of the Silicon Valley Bay Area Church at yeah, large. Sure. So I've been with TBC just now six years, but it started probably about 18 months before I came on board with a group of uh, Christian businessmen and pastors who wanted to come together and imagine the possibility of helping to uh, create a holistic gospel movement in the 11 counties and 256 cities of the Bay Area. And we have three initiatives or streams that we work through. The first is Unify that there's a reason why in John 17, Jesus used his last prayer on unify. And there's a power that gets released, I believe, that makes the church an unstoppable force if we unify. And in that uh, stream also, we're looking at faith and work and trying to do better at pulling together all the entities in the Bay Area that are taking seriously that discipleship point yeah. of faith and work. And then with Amplify, we look at what churches and nonprofits are doing around issues like education, homelessness, foster care, COVID relief, um, and celebrating what's already happening and then looking to move some of them into more systemic change where it's not just anecdotal but also goes to the deeper issues of change. And then the last one is multiply. Um, what models of evangelism in a post-Christian culture are working? How do we do evangelism in this day and age? And then also church planting. How do we nurture the ecosystem so that healthier and more churches get started and lots of different models because we need lots of different kinds of churches. Yeah, that's awesome. And so if you were to say, if you were to um, just sort of look at the all of those churches and all those counties and all the cities, all those things, what would you say is sort of the state of the church yeah. right now? Well, I think I would have probably answered that somewhat differently pre-COVID and sure. post-COVID. So since we're post-COVID, I would say, well, let me actually go back to when I first started. I got told over and over again how dark the Bay Area is, and I think there's some truth in that. I think much of our soil is like concrete. Um, but and I think this won't surprise most of you, I was so pleasantly surprised as I started driving around and meeting people at the multitude of points of light mm -hmm. and people of faith all over the Bay Area taking their faith seriously. And I think TBC's very small but important role is to bring those people together to see if we can spark something. So I think post-pandemic, there is a general um, weariness, especially in pastors uh, and nonprofit leaders and um, an unknown. I, I talked to so many pastors who have used phrases like this over the last couple months. We're having to wait to see who else coming back. Yeah. And so churches that maybe had hundreds or thousands of people are now preaching to much smaller groups and watching people trickle back 
and we just don't know yet. And then some of them using the term, we're reviving dormant ministries that have sat still for a while. Mm. But also an optimism of this is a chance to reimagine the church that God needs to have in the Bay Area. So it's that tension between tired and weary and not sure and hopeful and optimistic and possibilities that these leaders are living in between right now. Yeah, that's cool. Well, we could dive into that, I'm sure, and talk about that for a long time, uh, but maybe we'll save that for another time. You're in charge of the questions, <laughs> my friend. So, so well, um, there's so much stuff that you've, you've already mentioned that we're going to dive into, but I wanted to uh, go into one area in particular. And um, as we've talked about our, our vision, and we do believe it's a vision that God gave to Calvary Church to be a part of, is in our generation introducing Silicon Valley to Jesus. It's huge. It's audacious. It's impossible without a move of God. All those yeah. things, right? And it's also geographically appropriate. Yeah. Because of where you guys sit in a really unique place in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, as we've talked about, one of the things that any good missionary would do is to understand the culture that they're ministering to. And, but one of the challenges of Silicon Valley is we've watched the culture change before our eyes. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about postmodern thinking and then a brief stint in late modern thinking. And now, as you said, it, we're, we're in post-Christian or post-truth. Um, so as we try and just understand the people, the culture that we're living in so that we can minister to and introduce them to Jesus, can you help us understand what is post-Christian? I'll do my best. And I'm guessing there are going to be people in your congregation that are so smart, they're going to listen to me and roll their eyes and say, not even close. Or I could do such a much better job. Please do. So like you said, um, postmodernism has been running the course really since the 30s and 40s. Peter Drucker mentioned that really that thinking about postmodernism started in the early 30s. And it is a movement away from a grand narrative, a story that we can all be a part of that shapes all of us. And as you mentioned, a move away from truth towards, well, that may be true for you, but here's my truth. And really a natural progression of that in a Christian culture eventually would have to be post-Christian. We've tried it. We found it wanting, we're moving on. And there may even be remnants of Christian values that are still in the culture, but they're divested from the truth behind it. And so it is really dismissive of Christianity, if not aggressively antagonistic towards. Uh, and sometimes the dismissive is almost harder, uh, but it is definitely a shift. And then I think the challenge becomes, um, Nostalgia for the status quo will not help us with the gospel. Mm. It's so important to remember that the goal is not, oh, we need to get back to our Christian nation. The goal is, the, the question is, how do we authentically live out our faith in this culture? Mm. That's going to answer. Uh, Max Dupree was my mentor for many years, and he always taught me, if you don't come up with the right question, you will never get the right answer. Mm -hmm. That's the right question. Not how do we go back and reclaim what we used to have, but given what reality is, which Dallas Willard would say is the only place God meets us, um, how do we begin to understand what kind of church this needs to be? Yeah. 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 So one of the things you, you said is that truth for me, right, or like the dismissive. And so Tim Keller talks about this idea that for, for well, for a very long time, the church's strategy of reaching people was assuming that there was this underlying agreed upon moral foundation. And one of the characteristics he says about post-Christian is that that moral foundation is gone. gone. And yeah. so to say to someone, 
hey, come to church with me, it's not going to work anymore. No, because it's not like it used to. Not like it used to. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so as any missionary would want to try and understand, what, what is it going to take now in Silicon Valley to reach a post-Christian, post-truth culture? Again, great question. I'll give you my reflections on it, and I'm sure there are others. But you mentioned that going into another culture as a missionary, you have to study the culture. Absolutely. Woefully inadequate. You have to love the culture. Mm. You have to love these people. You have to love the culture. You have to love people living out of values that are radically different than yours. And in some cases, maybe similar, but they're not connected to Jesus. You have to love them. And again, I think one of the biggest reminders for those of us who are Christians when Jesus says, what good is it if you love people that are like you? Don't even the heathens do it. Like, that's 101. You don't get credit for that. The stretch and the heart of the gospel is coming alongside of people that drive you crazy, that offend you. Christians should be the least easily offended people in the world. And so to that end, I think when I was growing up, apologetics or defense of the faith or trying to get people to consider the faith came in the forms of evidence that demands a verdict and intellectual arguments. Nothing wrong with that, especially if they're done in a winsome way that is engaging and not adversarial. But I think even more so now in our post-Christian climate, I'm finding two things that I think are the new apologetics, and they are faith and work and serving the marginalized and the poor. Faith and work, Dallas says, your faith, your work is your primary place of discipleship. So how do churches help us look at our discipleship through the lens of our workplace? That, that's huge. Now, that's the long game. That's going to take time. But our job has never been more than to plant seeds. That's what Jesus said. So how do we live out our faith in the workplace in really winsome ways? And then how do we serve the marginalized and the poor so that what is at the essence underneath whatever form it takes, post-Christian, whatever, if people are genuinely made in the image of God, at their essence when they see the poor and the marginalized served or they see somebody at work making decisions that are collaborative and with integrity, it is going to spark something that they may be totally unaware of at a conscious level that over time I believe the Holy Spirit will use to bubble up. Mm. Yeah. that. One of the things that I've heard you say several times is that we're all workers. We're all working. We may not work at Google yes. or Apple or Facebook, or we may not be in tech at all. Yes. Um, and so what would you say for someone who may not be in the workplace as we define it in Silicon Valley? Maybe they're retired, or maybe they stay at home, or maybe they work from home, or whatever that may be. What does it look like for that group of people? Yeah, really not that much different. And Dallas Willard, again, uh, defines work as the creation of value in the world. And we're all doing that. Some of us better than others. And I do think when you're retired or in certain roles where there's not a paycheck involved, you may have to be a little more intentional about thinking in your mind, what defines that for? What is that for me? Mm -hmm. um, but clearly you're adding value to the world. So that that is your work. I think even with stay-at-home moms, I recognized when my kids were little, and I stayed home for a while and then eventually worked part-time, but in both of those situations, I found something outside of my kids that I was passionate about to help in the community, and I think it was really good for my kids to see that. So it's whatever value you are in a consistent way adding to the world, that's your work. Yeah. 
and to consider how do I offer that to God. And what you said earlier, um, it's fascinating to me that in the opening chapters of the Bible, when God has a chance to introduce himself to the human race, if I were God, so glad I'm not, but if I were God, I think I would start off by saying, uh, let me tell you how important and impressive I am. I'm God. I'm omnipotent. There's really nothing I can't do. I'm God. I'm omniscient. I know everything. I'm smarter than all of you put together. And in great humility and with, uh, I think, great joy, God says in his introduction to human beings, hi, I'm God, I'm a worker. And I've been working for six days before you even got here, and I've created something beautiful for you to participate with me. Um, If I asked you to think about how many times in the Bible is somebody's occupation written about, you know, if you guessed 543 times, you'd be wrong. 5,433 times occupations are mentioned in the Bible, more than prayer, more than um, don't be afraid. So there's something there that we need to pay deeper attention to uh, around our faith and work. That's great. That's great. It? <clears throat> Nancy, it's uh, such a gift to the Ecclesia in Silicon Valley. So we, we thank her for her perspective. So Promote, I know you've got some additional thoughts on this. I, I, I just wanted to say one more thing, and that is, you know, if you look at the stats, uh, a very high percentage of uh, people living here are kids, you know, in their uh, teens, early 20s. Um, and so, you know, as we look at Calvary 20 years from now, 10 years from now, the Gen Z will dominate the population of Silicon Valley. How do we reach the Gen Z? Uh, well, let's find some common ground, and the common ground would be what are they concerned about that would get their attention. Uh, they're concerned about social justice. We don't want to go into all aspects of social justice, but poverty, sex trafficking. And so if we could hold events here at Silicon Valley, uh, I mean in, in our church for Silicon Valley, uh, talking about sex trafficking, how do we fight it, talking about poverty. We do some of that anyway through House of Hope and City Team, but we do some of those events and invite some of these non-believers to come, they would find it interesting, and then we have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And I think the key thing to remember here is, if Jesus was here today, what would he do? He would be going out and reaching all these people, just like he did as he went out to the Samaritan woman and his disciples were just astonished. Oh my goodness, he's talking to a Samaritan. So how do we reach out to all these unreached, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, find the common ground, and then collaborate and share the gospel with them. Amen. Yes. That's, uh, that's so great. Um, we, um, we'd like to now answer the question, which you may or may not have asked yourself, which is, so what can we do to get involved right now? So on the screen, you'll, you'll see a list of um, a few um, things you can pray about. And if you, um, if you can't see it, probably somebody in the tech booth is scrambling or screaming at me <laughs> or something. So I'm going to just um, read it. <clears throat> uh, I'll just read these to you. Uh, but you, you should get this in your, uh, your email. So here's a few ideas. The, you know, the first is, is to really grieve for Silicon Valley. You know, as much as it is a land of opportunity, we know that the number one challenge that, uh, that faces most people in Silicon Valley is loneliness. 
with all the hyperactivity and intensity and everything that we do, we lose community and um, that's a real challenge. Um, we're really, our valley is very dark. It's trapped in, in this mindset. So just grieve over the state of so many people in Silicon Valley that are lost. The second would be seek forgiveness that churches have not worked together in the past. You know, we've each competed with each other, as you heard Promote and, and Rob talk about. Um, we've sort of ignored a lot of the parachurches and not supported them the way that we should. So just spend a couple of minutes and as a member of the church today, you can seek forgiveness for what the church has not done in the past as well as today. Um, so step into that role. Um, the next would be decree that God is his church, not ours, right? That's, we've talked about that uh, each week, and that is so important. We want him to lead this and declare that to him. And then you can pray that the Holy Spirit breathes new unity into his ecclesia. As, uh, as Rob was saying, he can see that. There's more of that here than in, in the Midwest, right? Is, and maybe it's because the church is more under pressure here that we've figured out we have no choice but team up. We can't be competing with each other. We need to work together. But uh, pray that that, uh, that takes a heart change in all of us. And that's Holy Spirit's job, is to change hearts. So pray, pray for that. And then pray a blessing over your neighborhood. If you go on and get real wild and crazy, uh, your oikos, your workplace, your neighborhood, uh, pray for them as well. So let me close this quickly in prayer and then I'll let uh, Rob wrap things up. Father God, we start with just declaring that this is your church and we seek to follow you. We seek to be your servants in what you want to do in Silicon Valley and how you want to use um, Calvary um, to accomplish your will. And we grieve for the people of Silicon Valley that um, are trapped in a way of thinking that, uh, that is so hard to escape. Um, and really, only you can change hearts. Only you can show what real truth is all about. So we ask that, uh, that you, you work in the hearts and lives of, of the people in Silicon Valley, and we ask that you just um, bless this church as we seek to follow you. Amen.